Kenny Shopton is fascinating, but you will need more than this episode to understand who he was. And there's two things that can help. First is the documentary, I Like Killing Flies. The best way I can think to describe it is the little restaurant that shouldn't, but did. Shopson's, Kenny's Diner, has to be seen to be believed. The second way to uncover Kenny's ideology and technique is the cookbook, Eat Me, The Food and Philosophy of Kenny Shopson. I'm Will Stewart, and you're listening to A Cook's Library. Faraz is my guide today. He's the chef and owner of Bake Street in East London. He likes to keep his identity a secret, so we spoke over the phone. I think it's an obvious start because I follow you on Instagram, but you're quite incognito. How did you get involved with cooking? How did you start cooking? I never wanted to go into food. I, Even though I love food, even though I loved eating, more eating than cooking, always been more eating than cooking, but I never wanted to go into food because it's just... Uh, I'm I'm a pessimist and I, I know how difficult the end industry is. Mm. Like, one, to make money, two, to um, have a healthy work-life balance is near impossible for most people. Yeah, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Um, so I went into sort of an IT uh, professional background. And uh, when I graduated uh, from university, it was basically the 2008-9 financial crash. So it was a couple of years of like doing shitty jobs or um, on the dole and then like doing little bits here and there. And then... So you lost your IT job? Well, as in I never really started it. I went to go into IT and I did a little bit of network admin and a little bit of um, consultancy and stuff, but it was all like freelance. So, you know, like nothing was ever secure. So then... um, what happened was the um, the street food scene sort of came in just after that, mm. for in London especially, and that was like a huge buzz moment for me. Just going to these places and um, being able to try very very different style of dining, and I thought, oh okay, maybe there's something um, something sensible in street food where you know the startup costs were small, you didn't have to dedicate your whole week or your whole life to it. Mm. You could just do a couple of days, make a little bit of money, and you know it'd be an enjoyable sort of creative outlet. So, so did you work in any restaurants, or was it just you? When we finally secured the site and we were just about to start building, I sort of had a panic. I was like, okay, I I know the theory. I watch and read everything religiously to understand how things should be done, but I have no practical experience, and I was like okay, this is the stupidest time to do it, but let me get a couple of jobs under my belt just so I can have a feel for what a real kitchen should be like. So I begged and pleaded with um, uh, Liam from uh, Hawksmoor uh, because I knew he was opening up uh, Foxlow in Stoke Newington near where I live. And I was Mm. like, just let me be a kitchen pour. I'll do anything. Just let me in the kitchen. Uh, just so I can be around, and he he was very nice, and he he basically pushed the GM to hire me as a kitchen boy, which was possibly the the worst idea I I ever had, um, <laughs> because I I'm sure everyone who's ever worked in a real kitchen will know the kitchen porter is the fucking star of your kitchen. He's yeah. the person that does all the shit. Mm. Like everywhere I wanted to work was because I liked either the food or the mentality of the place and then Bao was just opening up in Soho so I was working there and 
that was basically six months where I did that and a few other odd jobs. And that was the the whole culmination of my experience in an actual kitchen. And then I was thrown into basically running my own, which <laughs> which wasn't clever. Which, which was not clever. But luckily but luckily it was um I I'd set myself up for every possible failure. Um I'd taken a lease where I knew that we would have every chance to fail in every way possible and not be out on our ear in 18 months like mm. most places yeah i knew the failure rate was like eight nine out of ten roughly within three years yeah which is insane so i i made sure that um to make up for my incompetence basically while coffee made our daily sales and my sister baked what she wanted to bake and i cooked what i wanted to cook but it's just it, it, looking back it's ridiculous to think that i'd want to start something you you open with you said a bit of knowledge from stints in kitchens. Mm. How did Kenny Shopson come into this? Weirdly enough, I I watched the movie before we opened, way before we opened, and it was just a weird movie about uh, a funny funny restaurant. And only in the last year or so, it was recommended to me. One because. It was just supposed to be the movie itself was supposed to be a really interesting movie to watch and i was like oh i've seen it but i don't remember much from it and two because there was a sort of underlying joke that oh you're very similar to him and i was like uh, okay so i watched it and i this time i was enthralled there was so much uh, so many little things that i could see where he'd it was years and years of things building up him refining what he enjoyed doing um and then finding new ways of doing it either better or quicker or in a more interesting way so having a menu that's seven eight hundred items long and making pretty much all of it from scratch is just i mean it's, it's crazy baffling. but it is like I've... yeah it's baffling but then you look then you look at it and you look at how many actual um like building blocks there are and it's only maybe the books are good a good way of uh learning this there's there's a building blocks of maybe 20 or 30 things that he makes himself everything else is just prep and um a very key thing which people forget which is good sourcing mm -hmm. and not good sourcing of vegetables or meat or produce no good sourcing of ready prepared products knowing how to utilize ready prepared products in the right way um, so something like pickles, there's no reason for him to make pickles. Yeah, He lives in New York. There's amazing pickles everywhere. There's no reason to buy certain types of deli meats. There's, you're just going to get better ones. Obviously, the ones that he really enjoys, that's the ones he make, he makes himself because he knows then he can repurpose other parts of it. So he'll make, he'll roast his own turkey so that he can then make use the carcass to make chicken stock. And then the chicken, uh, the, roast, the turkey legs, he'll then shred for another dish an, another set of dishes so it's it's that kind of thing where he's smart in that he knows how many things he can do well and how many things other people are going to do better mm. i think i am um, when he died i've kind of first heard about him and saw saw articles about mm. who he was and didn't really look that much into it and then i read your piece in vittles about you know throughout mm. lockdown and i went and i watched a short video on youtube um of him on conan 
in like 2008. And everything I'd read very briefly was that he was like this brash, loud man who swears all the time. And he doesn't really say anything on Conan, which I like, you know, I'm like, oh, this, this is a bit weird. And then I watched like the first minute of the documentary and he's just like, this fucking stupid. Well, on my list that I made for today, I already defrosted that refrigerator. It needs to be frosted twice a day, every fucking day. Don't swear on Conan. And so his his are just like saying nothing. And there's <laughs> yes. a bit in the yeah. documentary where there's a baby crying and he's like, like screaming like really proper New Yorker. With those people. Shut the fuck up, Sam. And it's insane. And like, I was just, I read, I read a piece in the New Yorker about uh, when it was the bubblegum shop. Yes. Yeah. And how it talks about, um, he would get phone calls to be in a guidebook and he would say, oh, actually that place is closed. I'm just here moving the stuff out. <laughs> Precisely. He'd, he'd, um, he'd actively avoid any kind of publicity. Yeah, I mean, he made his own country, Indomalakia, and then said all the... F- he invented his own kind of set of dishes from Indomalakia. Yeah. It's hysterical. That's one of his more... Um, uh, that's one of the things that you sort of... You uh, you make peace with, maybe. Um, if he was if he was still alive, maybe those kind of things he'd have to uh, sort of step back on. But you you know he wouldn't. He would just um, he'd be like, no no no, it's something that I made up because I wanted to make it up. Like okay, fine. And I guess it's okay because he's like he's he's not he's like fiercely defending himself and not trying to tell anyone about it. And if you eat there, you eat there. And if not, he'll just fucking kick you out. As he does every day. Yeah. Or did every day. <laughs> there are small stories about him uh, creating dishes, one either to, uh, for people in particular, to bring joy to either his regulars or people that he liked, but also to celebrate uh, um, people that he bought stuff from. So uh, I think there was the produce guy at the Chinese market that he would, he wanted to make um, something that he would he'd want to eat if he ever came here. Obviously, he never went to Shopsons, but he's like, if this guy ever came, mm. and even just like that kind of thinking is is sort of what he was he he was good at, or what made him him, I guess. Whenever you read articles about them, they always talk about the mac and cheese pancakes, and how this yeah. you know this was the sort of the selling point to the other people that oh well this you know I can eat that because I like mac and cheese I like pancakes and it's sort of not as crazy some of his other dishes. And then he talks about how people who were people who request things, how he didn't like them. And he thought, well, I'm just not going to serve you because you're kind of demanding something from me that I don't want to give to you. But on the other hand, like you're saying, he's like the mac and cheese pancakes was sort of it. It seemed like it was more him being decisive about what uh, someone he liked should have rather than what they want, uh, which Mm. is a weird distinction. Um, So have you cooked a lot from the book? Or is it more sort of like the um, ideology idea? I mean, it's ideology. And I think I have this thing where when I read through books, I'm trying to absorb what's in there, but also try and pick out the things that I feel like it's doing different or better. Right. And so I'll then use that to make something else. Unless I'm going, unless I'm researching a specific dish from a specific cuisine or a specific or a specific author. It would normally mm. be, oh, this is a cool technique. And his book is just basically loads and loads of techniques. That's yeah. It's all the little knobbly little techniques that you'd um, pick up and make up yourself over years of cooking on the line. 
Um, and that's what I've taken more than anything. I think I they're feel. sort of the the two things that I think kind of separates a lot of cookbooks from the rest: Te- the techniques in them and the ideas in them. And yeah. you know, you can have lots of nice recipes where you cook stuff, but the end of the day like it's not maybe that isn't valuable besides the fact that it's a nice recipe if it's not you know there's something there's something to take away from how you do it and a different way of doing it definitely um it it comes down to how many cookbooks are there really for uh people cooking in restaurants not many Mm. yeah the ones that are based on restaurants are just sort of journals they're journals of recipes that they have rather than the way they do things this is really a book about how he did things even simple things like the right way to store wash greens for service for it not to be a, a mess by the next day. Like in mm. an Italian restaurant, having doing a uh, rocket different from your uh, your heart year greens is like it's something that you would learn day one if you worked in a trattoria or any kind of Italian restaurant. But if you've never worked there, you're just like, oh, I'm going to wash them to order. And that's a ridiculous thing to do, to try and do in a restaurant. Unless you're Kenny Shopson. Yeah, 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 he did that. There's such a good bit in the in that New Yorker article, the big long piece about how he cooks the chicken avocado tortilla soup and how he sort of like jerry-rigged the entire kitchen so that on the back burner there's a, a grill yeah. from the heat of the oven, which he grills chicken on, and then screws hole in, in the hobs and takes away the guard so that it's really fucking hot his words yeah and no one's gonna even think of something like that on day one that will take till you know a couple a month down the line where you're like this is ridiculous because once you spend enough time with within your little uh world you get bored with how you're cooking and um and you try and find ways to either make it more efficient or do make it do things that it shouldn't do you fiddle with the configuration of everything and think I must be, there must be another way for me to eke out one more different way of cooking. So how did um oh like before lockdown what happened? Were you guys kind of running a small menu and then everything changes or we this year um sorry not this year October twenty twenty was when we turned five but the year running up to lockdown was our busiest year. Um, it was right. basically we were getting busier and busier. So during the week we're we're basically a coffee shop. We, we do food, but we, it's very it's a very small menu and it's um, a few things that people want day to day. In a sense, not very exciting because we, we had attempted to do the, the daily specials and all of that kind of thing that everyone else does. But our main crowd day to day wanted very simple things. So we stuck to that. But then on the weekend, we'd, we'd be gearing up to the weekend where I'd think up maybe eight to ten random things that I wanted to make for for brunch and all sorts of very elaborate random dishes. Uh, the the cook that I've had for the last three years who is sort of my Jose, he's uh <laughs> he anytime I'd put anything on the menu he'd look at me with with stress and and he's like how are you gonna fucking do this not he would never say anything but he's he'd just be like right i've just got to get this guy through it because one i'm not i'm not particularly amazing in the kitchen timing wise but i i push through and he'll he'll make sure that it it gets done yeah we would we'd usually have eight to ten random things on the menu at any one time which were all uh, made to order In the cookbook and documentary, you meet Jose, Kenny's loyal kitchen assistant and cook, a fundamental part of Shopson's. 
Again, I really recommend watching I Like Killing Flies and buy Kenny's book, Eat Me. Faraz's Instagram will be in the show notes. Go have brunch at Bake Street when we're legally allowed. If you're listening on Spotify, follow. If on Apple, subscribe. It helps other people find the show. Follow me on Instagram at a Cook's Library. Thanks for listening. Keep cooking and keep eating.